I thought it would be good to hear from a few people. I don't know if you can hear us. We were meant to have some high chairs. We can't find them in the, in the hotel. Um, but I'm sure we look wonderful. So I've asked um, these lovely ladies to just discuss some of the things that they've had to be unlocked from. And I'm sure that you're going to relate to some of our stories. One, two, three, all of our stories. Um, and there's just a few things. Um, and then we're going to hear from the lovely friends. So we're going to limit this to five minutes each. Okay, so it's just going to be 20 minutes. Um, I'm going to try and keep the extroverts from just finishing their story and not telling a new story. So um, let's start with my mom. This is my mom. And she's come up every year to... to come and see me and then also to come for the conference and has appreciated the support of, of her whole church that's come up as well. They've been such a, a key church in our lives. Um, so do you want to just tell us maybe something that you have felt that you need to be unlocked from, that God's helped you? You know, I thought Stala said last night that I've got 20 minutes, so now I'm in a state. <laughs> I thought it was 20, 20, 20. Okay, so now I have to just cut some stories out. She's actually timing me. So, okay, I'm going to just give a few. But, you know, lots of songs are written about um, have no fear, be happy, all those things, you know. But the world does think um, differently because they give names, big names, to, um, to all kinds of fears. And I'm just going to mention a few and I'll tell one story. But they've got such funny fears. Fear of baldness and bald people is called paladophobia. Then there's a fear of the color purple. I've got a bit of purple on, but I clearly don't have porphyrophobia, which is another fear. Then there's fear of objects on the left side of your body, which is called levophobia. So they've got lots of things. There's, and I don't think you ladies had thalassophobia this morning. Thalassophobia is fear of being seated, because I see all of you are seated. That is thalassophobia. And... Um, Cuddly, this is one for your husband. Fear of teeth. Odontophobia. So I don't think he has that. So there's lots of fears, but I've had, um, I've had to start with. Um, okay, I've got, a, I've got a younger son. Let's start again. Starla has got a younger brother, and um, Jordi is about 15 now. And I waited long to have this boy. I mean, Starla was 18 when I had Jordi. So I really waited long for this boy. I cried for 10 years. I really asked God to give me a son. Somehow there was just a boy left in me, and I knew that one was for me, you know. And I often sat in the car, and my husband was driving, and I would look that side because I didn't want him to see, and tears would just actually run down my face. Just, God, what did I do so bad? I always whip myself. But what, what, what did I do so bad to actually not um, have a son? I really wanted one. So anyway, long story short, um, Geordie was born, conceived after 10 years of waiting and trying. I mean, I played the game and there was no prizes for 10 years and then I got this boy. <laughs> so anyway, then I got this boy and I was so in love with this boy. I still am. But I mean, I was just, I waited so long, longed for him. And then I really started developing a fear that um, Geordie would die. And I was in such a state, I know a lot of moms want their babies to sleep. I didn't want that. I wanted him awake because the only way I knew that he was alive, if he was awake... It honestly gripped me, the fear. I would push him, and he would just try and sleep, dead tired because of his mother's phobia and fears. And I would wake him. I would make, and he's like, up. I'm like, now I'm happy. Come cry, baby. Come cry. 
So anyway, but um, it really gripped me. And then I'd, I've got a friend, Glenda, who also gave birth. She had two sons, and then she gave birth to this um, little girl. And her sister died of, of um, in, in a cot death. Do you say of cot death? She, um, she died, and then she had a fear that it was going to happen to her little girl. And the two of us fed one another's fear to the point where, I mean, I was exhausted. I was, um, it was just very hard. And then my husband got a group of people around us and really prayed for us. And I just started quoting scripture over myself. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind, you know. And, and honestly, it's just God that actually just gave me the peace and settled my heart so that I could just enjoy this boy. And I must say, to this day, when I wake up and I see him come down the passage, I mean, he's 15. He doesn't want to know too much about his mom at the moment, but... I'm still like, there's a boy in my house, you know, just love. I also love Starla. <laughs> okay. Okay, and then my next story, maybe you guys won't know this, but um, I had a terrible stuttering problem at school. I mean, I didn't just stutter. It was la 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 like that. It was really bad. So obviously, being a girl and you grow up and it's, you know, lots of inferiorities and you feel embarrassed and... I said to my mom, I'm only going to a girls' school, so I went to Oranje Macy's in Bloemfontein. <clears throat> I said to mom, I don't want any boys laughing at me. But, but even in the class, I would do my speeches and all my things after school because I was just too embarrassed, because I would take so long to say one sentence. And anyway, then my mom, when I was about in grade 10, my mom sent me to elocution classes. And stuttering is all about breathing. You tap your foot. So I'm not tapping anymore. <laughs> but you... But you tap your foot and the breathing actually comes right and I would just do that because I am musical as well. I just, it worked for me, you know. But then the devil, okay, then I did, I, I, I stuttered less and less and then the fear gripped me as well about, no, you are still stuttering. And the minute it's public speaking or I've got to start speaking, that fear grips me. And I just thought, you know, people would ask me to come and speak or do something. I'm like, no, I always said no because it was my comfort zone. I didn't want to be stretched um, out, out of that. And then um, one day I just had it. I just spoke to God and said, I cannot let this fear cripple me the way I do because there's so much more for all of us. God's got a purpose and a plan for us. And I never wanted to marry a pastor and I married one. I was like, shoot me someone. <laughs> because I was just, anyways, my five minutes up, two more. Yes, your five minutes is hmm. Oh. No, no, no. So anyway, so God said <laughs> so, <laughs> and, but anyway, the fear got less and less and, and, I, and I said to God, okay, whoever asked me to speak, even when Starla said, mommy, can you say something? I was like, okay, yes, I will, because I will not let the devil tell me over and over that I have a stuttering problem because I don't have one. God set me free. Amazing. Christine, you were mentioning that you were going to go into Singalese and you were worried that you were going to go into Australian and what, it sounded a bit Jamaican to me at some parts. <laughs> so you've also had to overcome the, the fear of, of speaking. All right. So ladies, um, public speaking doesn't come naturally to me. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yes, <laughs> but seriously, I love spending time in God's word and just having an opportunity to preach. But every time before I speak, I sort of go into this panic mode <laughs> and my husband has to snap me out of it and says, Christine, you're going to do fine. 
I probably think because growing up, I felt really inadequate, and I felt like um, when I came from Sri Lanka to Australia, I was only 14, so I really didn't learn Sri Lankan properly, and I didn't really learn English properly when I came here, so it was such a mixed bag of languages, and I felt so undone, and yet, deep down, I felt that God was calling me into ministry and into preaching. I remember in my uncle's church in Melbourne, there were two specific uh, pastors from the States at different times came and prophetically prophesied over me, and I think I was only 15, and he said, first of all, he said, you're going to marry a man of God who is going to be in love with Jesus, and you guys are going to be traveling the world. And I said, oh, okay, you know, and he's going to be from Sydney. He was that specific. And when I met Leo, um, he wasn't in ministry, but he was contemplating on starting a church. And it still didn't click to me till, um, you know, we got into ministry, what responsibilities I would have to carry. Because I used to be the person, a servant in my uncle's church, I would be cleaning the toilets, setting up uh, for church, um, doing worship, doing children's ministry, um, doing everything, actually. I was the youngest deacon in his deacon team in my uncle's church. Uh, and I, I probably never had the opportunity to speak. I was in the worship team, but I never had a proper opportunity to speak till after I got married. And my husband sort of pushed me in the deep end and said, no, I I really believe in the calling and the mantle that God has on your life, so I want you to speak. And I took it so seriously because it resonated within me. And like I said, but my English is really broken. How can I articulate the way some of these ladies do or some of the men do? I don't think I'll be able to do it justice. He said, Christine, you be you. And I found myself growing in it. But can I tell you, it, I believe in overcoming it, but still I carry this nervousness before I go on stage and I carry a bit of stuttering, you know, when I initially start, but then I zone out and I just let the anointing of God just flow. And because I know that, you know, some of you are in Clark, Kent outfits, and God is saying, I want you to be superwoman, okay? God says, I want you to come out of your closet and do what I've called you to do. So I'm just honoring God and doing the best I can. I wouldn't consider myself perfect or have it all together. I'm far from it. Um, You know, I struggle in areas, and you know, I've fallen short in areas, but I can only say that by the grace of God, I'm where I am today because of him. Christine, you mentioned just your childhood and 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 it, and it was was quite um, a traumatic times. Can you just touch on that, where some of your fear had stemmed from? So, I come from Sri Lanka, and I don't know. I know there's some Sri Lankan ladies in the house. Woo woo. <laughs> Um, well, uh, before we came to Australia, um, there was civil unrest. So uh, there were two. There was the Tamils and the Sri Lankans. My father is a Tamil and my mother is a Sinhalese. And 
um, I can't remember the year, probably 85, 84, there was so much civil unrest. I remember being at school and war had broken out and the principal calling my dad and saying, I want you to come and pick up your kids. Everyone was picking up their kids. My dad didn't have a vehicle. Um, he had a bicycle and I remember we were the last ones to be picked up. He came to school, he left the bicycle, he picked up my sister and myself carried us and he said uh, to us girls, he said, I want you to close your eyes. He said, don't open it, you know, at all. And all I knew was that he was running. He was running to the bus stop to catch a bus to go home because war had broken open, like uh, over there out in Sri Lanka. And um, me being me, I opened my eyes lightly to see what was happening. And I happened to see a lot of people getting burnt, you know, physically being burnt, uh, uh, you know, burned into smithereens and shops being burnt down, homes being burnt. And I had to quickly close. I was so fearful. And I remember getting in the bus with my dad and my sister and he was holding us closer. And he, he, he's such an amazing man. I adore my dad to this day. I so respect him. He's an amazing dad. He just held on to us and I could hear him praying in, in, underneath his breath and then we raced home and then uh, he locked the door uh, he got my mom we went into the lounge room and we started praying because at that stage it was so bad there were groups of people pulling our families onto the street and burning them alive kind of thing you know with kids and all and I remember uh, my dad got us all in the lounge room and he said, okay, we're going to pray. And we just got on our knees and we started praying. And uh, I was at that stage, you know, so like gripped with fear, didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, you know, I, I, I was just bawling, but I just listened to my dad and I started praying. And I remember I could clearly hear a massive bunch of people outside of our home yelling and saying, come out of your house. I want you to come out. I want you to tell us who you are. And um, the lady next door, because it was like a shared home, 40A and 40B, that type of home. And the lady who is a Sri Lankan big mama comes outside with her sari. And she said, what do you want? No, who, who lives in this home? And she says, it's none of your business. No, no, no. Who lives in that home? And no, it's none of your business. Go away. And she was having a massive argument. And I was crying and sobbing. My parents were praying. And it was going on for about 15 minutes and I knew it was, it was getting really bad because they were bashing on the door, you know, the glass door at the front, wanting us to come out kind of thing. But I tell you, it, that 15 minutes felt like a lifetime. I mean, it might seem small, but it felt like a lifetime when you're in, indoors crying and thinking what's going to happen the next moment kind of thing. But Honestly, even at a little age, I loved, loved God. I had a relationship with him. And somewhere deep down, I knew he was going to take care of us. Because 15 minutes later, they threw something at the door and they walked away. That moment, I knew God had a plan for us. That moment, I knew that God had an amazing destiny for us. His plan is not to uh, rob, steal, and destroy, but his plan is to give us hope and a future and life. And when I think about coming to Australia at the age of 14, turning 15, and uh, what, what an incredible future. Even at that stage, I didn't realize the kind of future I was going to have and the stuff we had to go through. And 22 years later, being in ministry, 
ministry and, ha- and having to walk uh, the ups and downs of that and having to fight my insecurities even. Am I called? Are you sure I was meant to die in that fire? Are you sure that was... And having to fight those kind of demonic thoughts. Um, you know, to this day, I know that I serve a risen Lord and he has brought me to a place for such a time as this. And I forgot to introduce Louise to you. I'm so sorry. Louise has come all the way from London, from Kingsgate Church. I've known her for many, many years since we were teenagers. And um, it's such a privilege to have you here. Thank you for leading us into worship. And we can look forward to a third session as well. Um, But Louise also shared on something, touched on something. Sorry, we don't have much time, Louise. So unfortunately, you have four minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So basically... When I was growing up, um, from a young age, my parents had lost everything through a really bad business deal that had gone south. And um, so what happened was my parents obviously didn't have any money. And um, when I started going to school, they needed to make clothes for me. And as you know, at that age, when you're six, um, wearing something that's not 100% the same as everybody else is very noticeable. And um, so basically what happened was from day one, I stood out, and not in a good way. Um, so basically, I was with those people for the rest of my schooling career, and you know, first impressions last. So essentially, my entire schooling was just horrendous. It's the only way to, to really put it. Um, combination of bullied, just words. Per, words just came at me like avalanche all the time, just horrendously horrible words. And People did such terrible things and said such terrible things. I was never good enough, never looked good enough, never was good enough. Um, my parents were amazing during that, but I, I was still at school and still exposed to all, all that horrible treatment, mistreatment. So as a result, I found that pretty much most of my life, right up until probably 16, 17 years of age, I battled with fear, with anxiety, with um, Deep depression, which I just didn't realize that that's what it was at the time. I just thought that was what life was. Self-hatred, rejection, all those kinds of really hectic things. Bitterness, anger. My mom was sick as well on top of that. And I had four other siblings that my parents were trying to take care of. So it was hectic. Um, But, uh, oh, wait, I've got to get there first. Um, So then... Basically, by the time I was about 16, 17, I got to a point where I literally felt like there was no point in living anymore. I I would literally wake up every single day and just say, God, why am I alive? Why am I alive? I I want to be dead. Could you please just kill me? Please, I beg you. I don't want to take one more breath ever again. And I got to the point where I was totally going through the whole process of contemplating suicide and and very seriously wanting to kill myself. Um, I just didn't believe that there was a way out. On top of that, music was kind of a bit of an outlet, and obviously I, I loved Jesus with all my heart, and he was the only thing that I, that I could hold on to. So between music and God, it was, those were the two things in my life that were going right. Um, and yeah, just through an amazing process, I was at a lead, leader's evening the one night, and no one knew I'd already been involved, started being involved in worship at my church at that point in time. And one of the elders just came up at the end of that meeting and just said, had a word of knowledge and said, you've been feeling suicidal, haven't you? And in that moment, I just broke. Something broke. 
They took me out of the room, took me to another room with, an, with another lady. And he and this lady just started warfaring over me and praying over me and just declaring truth over me and breaking off all the lies. It was just a ton of lies. My thoughts were full of torment all the time. I never had peace in my mind. And um, they then just started to worship over me. And as they started to worship over me, I could just feel stuff shifting. And I, I just went through a process of just... Um, asking for God's, God's forgiveness for, this, for wanting to kill myself. And honestly, it was just an amazing moment where God broke into that room in such a powerful way through the worship, through the, through the prayer. And we just ended up laughing, the three of us. We were just rolling around on the floor laughing because the God's Holy Spirit had come and totally set me free in that moment. I woke up the next morning for the first, yes, yes. I woke up for the first time my entire life the next morning with no thoughts of self-hatred. I've never had another thought of self-hatred. From that day on, my brain has been clear, and I'm 100% walking in freedom. And yes, I am a single girl, but I'm not defined by that. And I want you to know the thing that defines me, the only thing that defines me is that I am a daughter of the Most High God. Single, married, children, no children, that does not define me. So I just want to encourage you ladies, if any of you are in the same place, trust God to break in and to set you free because he's done it with me. In the times of worship, ask God to set you free. Seriously. And even now while you're sitting there, he can do anything, exceedingly abundantly, more than you can ask or imagine. Well said. Four minutes, 40 seconds. That's power. Um, And that's why Louise can lead us into a place of freedom, because she knows it. She's felt it. She's been down in the depths, and she knows the highs that she found in God. Our Lebanese friend, Rana. Dan and I have so much fun with Rana and Matt. Matt is from Wales, but you guys have been here like 17 years or something. 17 and 13. Um, but they are just full of life, such an encouragement. She leads a church in Cornerstone, and we've got loads of Cornerstoners here. Thank you so much for coming on. I didn't welcome the Abu Dhabi people. Thank you so much. There's such a huge turnout, like over 30 from you, so awesome. Rana, have you had anything that you've needed to be set free from? No, should I just go home? <laughs> I'm kidding. Today, I want to tell you in four and a half minutes <laughs> a story about actually courage not fear because uh, it's amazing from christine's beautiful word this morning every lady how fear can grip you in ways that you just do not understand but i want to tell you a story first before talking about fear and how god really gave me this boldness and a tenacity for him i was born uh, my mom had i'm the second child so my mom had my brother me and my sister. So she had 17 hours of labor with my brother. She pushed and pushed and nothing happened. So, and then finally Ramsey arrived. So when it came my turn a year and a half later, she thought, oh my goodness, it's going to be exactly the same thing. So the doctor says, push. And she gave her best push ever. And I jumped out, (laughs) splashed everyone. And to me, I I believe this is a prophetic declaration where God says, just go and show the world who you are. (laughs) 
So when I was, I remember kindergarten, like as if it was still yesterday, coming in, walking with my, well, holding my dad's hand. He was wearing something like a brown suit. And I was walking in and I remember just as I walked in, I just said, hello world. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> so I think this has been what I believe God has, has put on my life. And I believe all of our lives. We all have such an incredible destiny in him. And you know what the problem is, is the problem is we grow up <laughs> and then fear creeps in and situations. And, uh, sometimes people speak death over you. And I remember to an extent, I, ha- I have an amazing mom and dad, but my mom was extra protective. Be careful, be careful. Don't fall. Be careful. Everything was so be careful that I remember for an, for a, a very long time, even as an adult traveling and just literally having to go out of my hotel on a business trip, going around the block and going back into my hotel because I wouldn't venture out. I was afraid of, should I go? What about stranger? What if I get lost? Oh my goodness. Watching movies when you're in that teenager years and then realizing there is something that is, there could be harmful people out there. What about, what if I get raped? Honestly, all these fears that just come at you. And what it's, what is amazing is that we believe these fears and they actually come and they make a root in our life. There's a little seed comes inside, makes a root and becomes a lie in your life. And it took me, I I was such a worrier when I remember our first few years of marriage, I've never been apart from my family, very close knit family. I remember crying. If I didn't get my mom on the phone, oh my goodness, she's dead. She's gone. Accident. I was such a worrier, such a worrier. And to me, I want to share with you just quickly in two minutes, key things that have actually given me uh, a heart of tenacity and boldness and courage that changed me from being a worrier to a warrior in the kingdom. And what's, it started with number one, understanding my God. Who is this God that I serve, who knows me so well, loves me infinitely, despite of me, and just looks at me all the time and says, I love you, you are beautiful, you're my beloved. Who is this God? And as I understood him, I don't have time to read from 1 John verse 12 to 18. It talks about the fear that is from the enemy and the love of the king that just overwhelms you. If you understand the love of God, I tell you what, it will drive out fear. It will drive out the things that are holding you down. God, with his love and his grace and his mercy, will pull you out of where you are, ladies. And I want to encourage you. If you spend your time with him, he will drive out that fear. He will drive out that fear. The second thing that was so crucial for me. It's like you wonderfully put, is your identity. Don't let your job, even being married or not married, having kids, not having kids, whatever it is. Number one, your identity has to be rooted in your king of kings. You are his daughter and you know what? You're all royalty. Right now, God looks at you and you've got crowns on your head and no one can tell you differently. And the third thing was my destiny, understanding my goodness. I have a calling over my life. I'm not just a nobody. I have something that I I need to just run with. Just like the way God brought me to the world, splashed everyone. (laughs) I need to splash people with my love and my grace and just be truly salt and light to people around me. And if I do that, he will just lead me to other things. And the fourth thing that I want to encourage you in Surround yourself with people that speak life over you. Stop speaking death over yourself and stop surrounding yourself with people who keep telling you you're not good enough. I want to tell you this. This is so important. I have a husband who says, honey, we can do this. Let's go. 
We were around Snoopy Island, if anyone's in Dubai, this area, in Fijera, and I'm not a very good swimmer. He's like, honey, it's just around the Snoopy Island. You're just going to row. You're, you've got your floats. <laughs> You're going to be fine. As long once I did it, I conquered a fear because I had a husband who said, you can do this. It starts with the small things, but it goes to the bigger things. Speak life. Surround yourself with people that will speak life over you. And I just want to tell you, God loves you with an everlasting love. And nothing, nothing, nothing can hold you back from what he has for you. God bless you. Thank you. Hello? The sound is off. Hello? Can you hear me? Oh, sorry. Um, I wonder if I can just put my husband on the spot, actually. I was going to have him up here, then I thought, no. But then when, when, no, 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 I, you have to speak quickly. And uh, actually, when Christine was, was, was preaching earlier, and then she was like, King David is brave hard, and King David is this. And I was like, Dan is my King David. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's sad. But anyways. When, when, when Christine was saying, you know, that she said to, um, and I think this is very important, um, that, Leo has, that Leo has come alongside her and said, come on, there's a plan, there's a destiny on your life. Uh, Rana mentioned it at the end as well. Matt saying, come on, Rana, there's a plan and a destiny on your life. Just for some, from, I really, this whole, this whole theme is about unlock. It's about freedom, freedom for women. And um, Dan, <laughs> freedom for women, do you know anything about that? Can you just say, just, just in, as a pastor, yeah. what is your conviction from the Bible on how to release and set women free to be who God's called them to be? Okay, first of all, um, it's easier to speak in front of guys or a combination <laughs> than to speak in front of ladies. And then Starter goes off, she's better in my security blanket, yeah. Wow. Okay, we can't go into the theology of that right now. But basically, I, th- I think it boils down to this, that... God has created us equal. We came back to the New Testament. There's, there's an equality amongst men and women. And I think guys that don't release women into their God-given gift and calling are insecure and don't actually make space for women to be women. And I, know, I knew in marrying Starla that I was marrying a gifted girl, not someone who is going to sit at home and cook, which, which is great if you guys do that, happy, whatever. That's... But Starla's not that one. I had to teach her how to make eggs the other day. Um, and uh, eggs in a microwave. So she didn't have to, to turn the stove on, sorry. <laughs> and, uh, but I know that when I married uh, Star, it even came as a fight for my in-laws <laughs> a little bit. And um, yeah, just letting all the secrets out. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't say they repented, no. It was good. I had to stand up as a man because I knew that this, this is just the start of something incredible. I think God spoke to me the other day and keeps speaking to me about that this thing is a movement. And, uh, and for me, to hold Starla back and say, listen, go make me food. Make sure I have everything in order so I can run into my ministry. I'm thinking, wow, this, how selfish am I? And uh, I think we've always seen it as a team. We, we don't, like, Starla's not... She's not going to run ahead. We, 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 we do things together in a team. We have the same vision. So it's easy for her to submit. The, the Bible speaks about mutual submission. We work together for one focus. So I don't even know if that answers your question, but there we go. <laughs> There's freedom in you.